You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, good morning. You got a piece of paper on the way in the door today. And if you're at home, I want you to know that you can join with us by having your own piece of paper. Yes, this innovative technology, non-digital format. I want you to pull that out and grab a pen. And this is a list that's for you. It's not for me. You're not going to have to share it. You don't even have to show it to the person sitting next to you. I want you to list off everything that you can think of that you do on a daily basis or most days of the week, three to five days, or a couple of times a week, maybe one or two. And maybe those things that you do once a month. And just think of anything. Hygiene, something that you drink, a show that you watch every day, someone that you make a phone call to, exercise, anything at all. Don't filter it out. Just fill it out. And just take a minute. We're going to have a moment of silence. It's not often we get moments of silence in church. You can continue working on it as I'm talking. It can be what you go to when you get distracted. So about 10 days ago, we got a call, excuse me, we got a communication from a concerned citizen. Someone had been driving past our digital sign and saw the description of the sermon series. And they've been seeing it for weeks on end. Trust is greater than or equal to fear. And this concerned citizen wanted to let us know that greater than or equal to would mean that fear equals trust. Now, this is not the first time I've had this question with this series. In fact, Jimmy even shot off a quick response to this concerned citizen that, no, no, that's what it's about. So, it's due again for me to explain what we're after here. In this series, we've been looking at our fears. And don't we have a lot of them right now? We have a lot of our own internal fears. We have a lot of fears that are being used against us as well. To motivate us, to push us, to be a certain kind of people. We're being prompted by our fears to react, or to overreact, or to be upset. Maybe even to paint our enemies as villains and only intending for what's bad in the world. With this series, we've been looking at fear, trying to unpack some of those things. Trying to be more aware of the fear as it hits our eardrums, as it hits our hearts, as it stirs our sweat glands and gets our energies all worked up. In Scripture, We hear about the fear of God being that beginning point of wisdom, the point from which we launch into the wisdom of God. And here, sometimes we hear that and we think, oh, God is all about terror, that God is in on this fear game, that God wants to terrorize us, to zap us from on high, to watch for whenever we make mistakes. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about. 
You've heard me say time and time again that this fear references our awe, our respect for God, our treatment of God being God among all other gods, that we worship this God. And so our fear actually becomes trust. It is equal to trust. It is what we're about. In fact, when we fear God, we can trust that God is greater than or equal to the challenge of the fears that you and I face in our world today. Here at First Christian, we are a group of people who follow Jesus. That's what we're about. You see it printed on materials. You see us describe it from, from the pulpit, from worship. Everywhere we go, that is the standard. It's kind of our focus of operations. Whenever something new comes up, whenever we're considering what to do, we say, how does X, Y, or Z help us to follow Jesus? Help us make followers of Jesus. That's the standard. And even though we're all different and we look different, we have different backgrounds, we have different giftings, different sins, mistakes that we've made, we are all a group of people that are gathered together following Jesus. And we do that with the four words, be, do, say, go. We are being present with Jesus everywhere we go. That's who we are. We're committed to prayer and scripture. We are living our lives as if Jesus is our friends. Just living in worship all the time. Do. We are copying, imitating the things that Jesus did. Our actions are Jesus' actions. Our practices of, of giving of our time and of our money, this is what we want to do because it's how we serve Jesus. Saying our speech what we communicate, the teachings that we learn from Scripture, all of this that we ingest, we're wanting to say the very things that Jesus said. And then fourth, with going, we want to go where Jesus leads. We don't want to get settled where, right where we are. We know that Jesus is out ahead of us, calling us into new places, leading us through our own difficulties into new and un expected surprising ways. Well, these same things have shown up in this series, haven't they? If you think about it, let's take them backwards, right? Let's walk through be, do, say, go backwards. With the people of Israel, they have been going. They have been going into the wilderness. They have been leaving behind slavery. They have been on this journey going into unexpected places. They have been uh, saying, saying the things that they've learned about who God is, what his new name is, speaking these new commands from God. They have been doing some new things, like collecting bread off the ground every morning, except for one morning, having water come to them. They've been having to trust the provision and protection of God. And, fourth, they have been uh, on this journey of being with Jesus, being with God in this case, being with God up on the mountain of the burning bush, being with God through the city walls, being with God through walls of water, being with God as they walk out of slavery, right? Those things have all been present in what we've been talking about in this series of trust being greater than or equal to our fear. 
And so today we come to a new chapter, a new place. And I want to invite you, if you're able to, to set your paper aside, stand where you are, maybe even stand in your living room or stand on your porch or wherever you might find yourself and listen to the words of God from Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and they said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people took off the gold rings up from their ears, brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, cast it into an image of a calf, and said, These are, and they said, they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival for Yahweh the Lord. They rose early the next day offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They've cast themselves an image of a calf, and they've worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Yahweh the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why, would the, why should the Egyptians say it's with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Change your mind and do not bring this disaster on your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and your servants and how you swore to them by your own self saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised you, I will give to you and your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And Yahweh the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The people cannot handle what's been going on. All this smoke and thunder and fire they don't want to be that close to God. And so they tell Moses, you go talk to God. You tell us what he says. You go up there. And so that's what Moses does. He goes. And while they're together, God and Moses up on the mountain, they form this plan in Exodus 25, verse 8. This is not what I read to you today. In 25, verse 8, the plan is for God to dwell among his people. That's right, they're going to build a tent for God to dwell amidst, in the midst of them. To me, this sounds like a really bad idea. They couldn't handle God being on the mountain, and now God wants to dwell among them. 
This is just the way God is. He wants to dwell among his people. He wants to move into our neighborhood, onto our block, into our house, to be with us. God wants to dwell with us. I want you to hear that as the very first important thing from this passage today. And it's kind of a question that any good leader like Moses must face. How do we get the people into God? How do we dwell in God the way God wants to dwell within us? And so the way it's going to look as Moses and God are hashing this out and God's telling him what the plan is, is there's going to be a love offering. They're going to bring gifts of gold and silver and cloth to make God this fantastic tent. And so God's talking about gigantic candlesticks and beautiful tables, all of it plated in gold. Very impressive, very beautiful. And as they go back and forth, they're making a, a shopping list. No, I mean an offering list. They are, they are going to town. Well, they're not really in town just yet. They're still up on the mountain making this plan. And then Mo God gets this really strange look on God's face or in the smoke or however that works. And he looks at Moses and said, your people are worshiping other gods. You better get back down there to your people. Crazy, crazy story. Because Moses has been gone a long time. We don't get this sense because I'm not reading all of the chapters, but there's been a lot of up and down. There's been at least 40 days of Moses being gone. You know what that means when your leaders are gone. You don't get to inquire of the Lord. You don't get to have disputes settles. And most importantly, you don't get to have cookouts sacrificial offerings where you come together and you worship God and then you eat those meats together. And no doubt in 40 days, some holiday has taken place and they're not getting to celebrate. And so they make their own party. Well, I'll skip a little part and jump down to Moses sprinting down the mountain. And he hears the sound of what's going on. Joshua, his commanding army, Officer says, I think it's the sound of war. And Moses says, oh no, that's not the sound of victory. That's not the sound of defeat. That's the sound of reveling. That's a party. Because what they're doing is sacrificing before this calf, having sex around the calf. They are having a real Canaanite party. Because what's happened is, they tell Aaron, we need some gods to worship he takes up all of their gold and jewelry, forms it into a mold, and as he says, out pops a calf from the fire. Okay, I don't think that's exactly how that works, but anyway, Moses comes down the mountain and this is what he sees. None of this is in the plans. He and God have just been talking about what the plans are. And what we find is a second thing, not just God's desire to dwell among his people, but that we as God's people are very quick to break the commands. Stunningly quick to choose other gods, whatever we can get our hands on. The first commandment, the second commandment, the third commandment, probably all broken. Stones haven't even made their way down the mountain to this group of people. It's, it's shocking. It's ironic. It makes our jaws drop. God's ticked. Moses ticked. And the commandments get broken and shattered in stone as a great metaphor for what has happened. And Moses, 
takes the idol, breaks the idol, burns the idol, scatters the ashes of the idol in their water and makes them to drink it and gives them this ultimatum. Who of you wants to follow Yahweh? Come stand with me. If you don't want to follow Yahweh, then don't stand with me. And to those that stand with him, he gives swords, and they kill those that don't want to follow Yahweh. They give them what they want, other gods, and the result and the consequences of following other gods. But what are you, what are you supposed to do in a story like this? When we feel alone, like God has abandoned us, the leaders are not present, well, we do what we always do. We worship whatever we can get our hands on, whatever might substitute for God. Maybe a God that we can control, a God that will be more visible for us. It's at this point that I want to jump back to the part that I skipped with God and Moses up on the mountain. The part that I did read to you today, where God is angry and livid and calls this group of people, your people, Moses, Moses, in this moment, steps into the moment and intercedes for the people and says, look, God, let's think about you for a second. Moses appeals to God's character. God, let's think about you. You just delivered this group of people from Egypt. Think about this, God. Second, you have a lot of outsiders that are watching like the Egyptians. And what are they going to say if you just wipe this group of people out? And third, God, remember the promises that you made to Abraham and Isaac, to Jacob, who became the name Israel. Remember those promises, that you were going to make them like stars and bless them. You can't go bankrupt on your promises. I mean, I'm kind of picturing what this would be like in the wilderness times. Yes, the former slaves... The Israelite people out in the wilderness, they were given only ten rules to follow. They couldn't keep even the first three. This uneducated group of nomads couldn't make it. In fact, rumor has it that their own God wanted to kill them in the desert. And can't you hear that in the wilderness times as people look on and what they see? This happens a lot with the people of God. People look at God's people, they look at the church, they look at Christianity, they look at Christians, and they see our weaknesses. And they use that to discredit God and following God. Have you experienced this? Yes, I mean, we've experienced it. We know our own sins, we know our own mistakes, and yet this doesn't discredit God, it discredits us. In fact, there's a crazy thing that's written later in Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul writes that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed in the church. Now think about how crazy that is. The manifold, the multifaceted, diamond-like wisdom of God is shown in the sometimes disaster that is the church. Angels, powers, principalities all look at what God is doing with God's people in the church and they're amazed. They're amazed at how God's wisdom is on display. Because as Paul writes in Ephesians 2.15, he has abolished the law. He has created one group of two groups. 
non-Jews and Jews, he's brought together. Insiders and outsiders. In fact, Christ is the one that brings everyone together. Christ is all and in all. That is amazing. And even the powers that be look at the wisdom of God pulling together all people and think it's crazy. When we look at us, we're pretty quick to replace the God that is. To replace the eternal, immortal God with visible things, tangible things. In fact, in a lot of ways, this is a story of what happens whenever leaders become gods, like Aaron or Moses. And their absence or their presence, our ability to manipulate them or control them becomes what our religion is. And those leaders are not God. This is also a story about what happens if God were to do away with his people. How would that speak of God? What would that do? And it brings us more at really what we have to wrestle with in this passage. Not just the first two things that I've told you about God wanting to dwell with us. And second, that we will do and grab onto almost any other God rather than the eternal God. But to look at Moses. To look at Moses and how he functions. Because Moses functions to keep the people from leaving God. And he even functions to keep God from leaving the people. That is an astounding story. This is where I want us to live. Being like Moses. Now that might sound like an incredible feat for you. But God said in Exodus 19.5 that Israel, this group of people, was going to be his treasured possession. A kingdom of priests. If they would obey the covenant, if they would listen to his voice. Whoopsie. Uh, messed up on that one. Didn't listen to the voice. Didn't keep the covenant. So what do we do now? Well, here God is still acting as if we are God's treasured possession. God's kingdom of priests. The whoopsie doesn't keep God from doing what God wants. Now, if I were to sit down with you right now, each one of you, and said, okay, what I need you to be is a priest. A kingdom of priests. I bet I'd have a hard time convincing most of you that that's what you want to do. Really? You want me to stand out in that way? You want me to wear some kind of a fancy collar or some suit? You want me to function as a priest in that way? Well, yes, it's an uncomfortable role. It's one that Moses calls us into. And Moses does it by even looking at God and saying, no, 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 no. These are not my people, God. These are your people, God. Kind of like whenever something goes wrong in your household and you look at your wife and you say, honey, your daughter just did. <laughs> I mean, we know this is, this is not just telling us something that God said. This is teaching us about Moses, right? Moses is, we're supposed to embody who Moses is. That's what we're supposed to be like and learn. But Moses is teaching us there are times when we need to go to God on behalf of the people. So here's the hard part. This is why you won't sign up for this job. I want you to think of the most heinous sins. Think of the most frustrating mistakes that people make. The most irreligious things that people do. Those habits or whatever that drive you crazy. 
And I want you to think about going to God on behalf of those people, on behalf of those sins, and asking God to make atonement for them. I mean, it's no small thing of what Moses does. It's a big thing. And the people of God in the world today, this is what we're to be about. Going to God on behalf of the sins of our church, of our world, of our neighbor. Not feeling self-justified that somehow we stand apart from them. That's not what Moses does at all. In fact, he goes the full length and says, you know, if you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out too. What? God wants to start over with Moses. And Moses says, no, if you're going to wipe them out, it's going to show unfaithfulness to who you are, God. Please, come back to your people, God. That's an amazing step. Are you ready for that job description? That's one that's going to take some thinking about, isn't it? The other part of this job description is going back to the people and calling them into this relationship that God wants with them, to dwell among them, to be their people, to pitch his tent, not just far away from them, but right in the middle of their life. You see, we need more than just concerned citizens. We need to be more than just a concerned Christian to point out other people's errors. We need to be the people that are pointing to who God is and who other people are, children of God. We need to be standing in the gap of bringing God to the people, of bringing the people to God. That's an uncomfortable place, but that is what Moses shows us about how we walk this earth and what we're supposed to do. So if I could bring all this together and tell you where we've been. God wants to dwell among his people. That's number one. And number two, even as we find all of these substitute gods, we're learning that we are breakers of the first commandment, the second commandment, and all the commandments. We need to recognize the voids that we try to fill our lives with, with things other than God. So the piece of paper that you've got on your list, you don't have to show that to anyone, but I want you to think very carefully about your life. Think about the things that do take priority in your life. What takes your time? What takes your energy? On the flip side, the be, do, say, go invites you into a process personally of thinking about how am I being with Jesus each day, each week, each month? It's not for anyone else but you, but to really think strategically, comparing how you spend your time in other places with how you spend your time with Jesus. That invites us into this conversation of thinking about what we lift up above God. And the third thing, the most uncomfortable thing, is embracing this life of Moses, this life of intercessor, of not only letting God dwell in us, but acting as an intercessor on behalf of others to help them see the God that loves them, to help clear away the smoke, to clear away the clutter that they use to distract themselves from our errors, from our mistakes, from the ways that we don't live up to what God's called us to be. All of that clutter to give them a picture, a vision of who God is. 
That's good news. That is good news, that God remembers His promises. That God is willing to live in this tension between mercy and justice. And that God is willing to stay with us in spite of how we act. Let's pray. God, you are powerful. You are eternal. You blow our minds. We thank you for the ways that you pull us back together. To draw us to the mirror, to point us into that image that's there and say, you are a child of God. Can we hear that, God? Help us to know it within our bones of what you intend for us. And Father, the same mercy that you've extended to us, can you help us as we try to extend that mercy to others? We need your help. Because while we build our own gods, we know that we look at others and we see their gods and we dismiss them. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that through him you have brought all people together as one people. That you've broken down the dividing wall, the hostilities that are between us, and you have made peace. Help us to cling to Christ and nothing else. This is our prayer through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God now and eternally. Amen.